Well, good morning to those of you online as well. We're glad you're with us. Um, just real quickly today, we kind of wrap up our um, trimester of groups and looking forward to June and July and kicking off new small groups through the summer. If you're interested in leading a group, um, that is a big part of our vision and at Shiloh, um, being a part of the body of Christ and communities and being able to gather in circles, not just in rows. And so if you would like to lead a small group, you can see myself, you can see Kyle, you can also see um, the deans. That's Sorry, I was thinking about a sermon, and yeah, the deans, they're back there too. Um, and we would love to get you connected with that. So um, the goal, as we've said of this series, is not to erase your doubts. Because one, I don't think that's possible, and two, I don't think that is very helpful. But the goal of this series is to simply answer the question, what do we do with our doubts? Because as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, you will come across moments in your life, seasons in your life where you struggle with doubt, where you have questions and, and things that God needs to answer and help you to see and understand, um, but it is difficult. Because, and, and again, I've said through this series, this is my experience and my experience alone. This is not you know, research or anything like that. But for most people that I've encountered, um, doubt does not arise from an intellectual crisis, but from an experiential crisis. They have gone through something in their life. They have seen something with themselves or with their family or with their friends or maybe just simply um, our world as a whole that makes um, or creates an intellectual crisis on the other side of that experience. Which is really funny because I think most of our evangelism strategies deal with the intellectual issues. And very rarely talk about the experiential issues. What, what it is that, that caused this, where the root of it is. And so as, as we talk about doubt, as we deal with doubt, how do we handle it? And, and last week we looked at John the Baptist who clearly had God's will in mind and went through some really, really difficult days. Some really difficult times. This morning I want to look at the life of a guy named Paul, who also went through some really difficult days. If you don't know Paul's story, um, we really see Paul for the first time as a guy named Saul, who is stoning Stephen, and he is persecuting believers. And on his way to Damascus to continue to persecute the church, God blinds him, and he comes face to face with Jesus, but he can't see him. And when he comes, uh, when, when God brings him out and restores his sight, he goes through this experience of really transformation as he begins to um, really become a minister and a tool in the hands of God. And allowing the Spirit of God to work in his life. And as Paul talks about his really pedigree, 
He talks about all of the things that he's done in, in life and how um, smart really he is and how blessed he is by where he was born and, and so many things that we look at and, and Paul says, I could boast about all of that, but I don't think it's that important. But Paul's life was not always easy. And for most of us, I think we think, okay, I'm going to decide to follow Jesus and life's going to get better. I'm going to make a decision and then everything is going to start to fall in place. But what's really interesting for Paul is that doesn't happen. In fact, once he decides to follow Jesus, his life actually gets more difficult. And so Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth, and he's telling them, I have a lot of reasons that I could boast because of my zeal for Christ. And then he starts to tell us what it is that he has gone through, his experiences in life. So in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 11, he says this, I have worked much harder, I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. And I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger in, from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So he's talking about all the things that he's going through and all the things he's experienced. And he says, and on top of that, I carry this burden of responsibility for the people that I get to minister to, that I get to share life with. And when they hurt, it hurts me. Now, for us, most of the time, we would look at Paul's life and we would say, well, man, he's just following God's will. But as I read that, as you hear that, do you sit there and say, wow, wow, God is in that story. I mean, he's been shipwrecked, and he's been beaten, and he's been in prison, and he's been without food and clothes, and we look at that and we say, God, are you in that? Because we have this paradigm in our mind of how God's will works. If God is in it, if God is leading us, if God is taking care of us, then life is going to be easier. Then everything else is going to be better. And we'll say things like, well, God is opening all the doors. 
God is helping us just walk through these open doors and it's so clear. But what if an open door isn't necessarily a sign that this is God's will? What if easy and everything is okay is not God's will? What if God's will takes you through some really difficult, hard times? What what if God's will brings doubt and question at every turn? What if God's will isn't simple and safe and easy, but really, really difficult? What if God's will brings up the question for Paul, what did I do to deserve this? What what did I do, have I done something wrong to deserve this? I met a lady one time who was, her daughter was really, really sick. And she said, well, I don't know what I have done to cause this. And she's racking her brain and trying to figure out how something she has done has caused God to punish her daughter. Because we we somehow in our mind equate the two. Right? God is going to punish physically people for their sin. He's going to physically punish punish them when they question or when they doubt. And she's racking her brain trying to figure this out. But I want you to remember one of the things we said last week. Your circumstances are not a reflection of how God feels about you. Your circumstances, the things that you're going through, the pain that you've experienced, the hurt, the questions... They are not a reflection of what God thinks of you. And so then the question, well then why do bad things happen? And we talked about this a few weeks ago, right? Bad things happen, one, because of our choices. There are times we make bad choices and it brings pain into our life. Anyone ever make a bad choice? Anyone ever want to hit rewind and do over? But sometimes we make good choices and it still costs us. John was doing exactly what he was supposed to do and he found himself in prison and eventually killed for it. Paul turned his life around and was committed to the kingdom of God and to Jesus And yet he still ended up in prison and hurting and in pain. And life did not unfold simple and easy like we would assume it would. Bad things happen because of other people's choices. Other people make decisions that affect you and I. They make bad choices and it has an impact on our life. And then three, bad things just sometimes happen. Because this world is decaying. It's falling apart. 
and it has been since the creation fell. There is brokenness and there is pain and there is hurting. And sometimes, sometimes things don't make sense. As badly as we want them to, as badly as we want them to, to have a reason, sometimes they don't. And we have to go through, we have to walk through the pain. As we, we've said, Burke mentioned this in Pentecost, this has been a heavy week. With the passing of Trent, with news of Noah's dad, I don't know, many of you don't know this, but I worked for five or six years with Kenneth when we were in Cleburne together, his dad. And it's been a heavy week. A burden. And this morning I was, I was reading and I was thinking, and there's a, a passage in Romans where, where he says, Romans 8, we know, and this is Paul writing, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His promise. And Paul writes that. Think about this. After all he has been through. He's been in prison. And he's faced death. And he's gone without. And somehow, Paul can say, somehow God is working all of this for good. Somehow, God's hand is in this, and it is being worked for good. And sometimes, sometimes I struggle to believe that. Sometimes I struggle to see that. And I want to so badly. Here's the truth. Sometimes life is painful and unfair, and we don't get an answer. And the only thing that we have to stand on is the faith that we have in Jesus. Because it seems like everything else around us is crumbling. And there's pain and brokenness, and it doesn't make sense. See, right after Paul tells us about all of the things that he's been through, and he says, I can boast about the zeal that I have and the committedness I have to following Jesus after all I've been through. Then he tells us about the closeness that he has with God. And how he's had these revelations where it feels like he's been with Jesus and he's seen God's Spirit at work. And I wonder, I wonder if there is a connection between the two. I wonder if his connection and the way that he's experienced God 
is because he has walked with God through some of the darkest days of his life. I wonder if the pain and the brokenness is what led him into a deeper connection with God. I wonder if all that he has gone through has changed everything about his world and the way that he sees this world. See, just a little bit later, after he talks about his connection, he says this in, in 12 verse 7. There's this, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Three times. I pleaded with God to take it away. See, God gave me this thorn. And, and I, I wonder if in his mind it's God gave me this thorn. Because he tells us this was a messenger from Satan. And he doesn't tell us what it is. Sickness, injury, maybe he was married. I'm, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Sickness, illness. He says, I was given this thorn to keep me humble. I was given this thorn, and this thorn had a purpose. And I started to, to just wonder, is it possible a painful thorn could be a gift? Because the word that he uses for given is in the sense that you would give someone a gift. I was given this thorn in my flesh. Almost as if it was a present. Is it possible? Is it possible a painful thorn could be a gift? Something that had a purpose in your life. For Paul, he says it was humility. And you think about this. His pedigree, his upbringing, and who he was. It was his pride earlier in his life that kept him from being a powerful tool in the hands of God. But once he met Jesus, it was his humility that allowed him to be a powerful tool in the hands of Jesus. And he says these three times, and, and I don't think this is, like there were three times that I prayed, I think he's talking about three seasons. Three seasons where I've intensely been praying for God to take this away, and He hasn't. And I've continued to pour and ask, God, please take this away, and He hasn't done it. And I still have to deal with it every day. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. 
My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My guess is Paul didn't write this the first day he was dealing with a thorn. My guess is this hasn't been a month-long battle. Because I don't think you write something like that when you're still in the midst of the storm. I like to call those rearview mirror moments. That after you've been down that road for a while, once you have some road in the rearview mirror, then you start to see everything that God has been doing in this moment. I think it's really, really difficult to see when you're in the mess. I think when you're in the middle of it, the doubt is real. When you're in the middle of it, the questions hurt. When you're in the middle of it, it's really difficult. But somehow, down the road, we look back and we see God's fingerprints all over it some way, somehow, that we never saw in the moment, that we didn't understand. I don't think Paul's writing this saying, hey, I got this thorn that that I just got. I think this is years down the road. I think this is years on the other side. I think this is Paul later in life, when, when he's nearing the end of his life, probably. I mean, I think this letter was written around 55 A.D. He's writing this saying, hey, I know right now you're going through some really difficult times and things don't make sense. But as someone who has been through some really difficult times, let me tell you how I saw God's grace in this. See, we've said this time and time again here. God will take you to places that you have not chosen to go in order to produce in you what you're incapable of producing on your own. The Bible calls that grace. I think God leads us, walks with us into some really difficult days, into some really uncertain times, so that on the other side, There is a connection with Him that we could not have any other way. Because what Paul tells us is somehow, through all that I've been through, I have learned to see God's grace in these moments. 
Somehow I've learned to see God's goodness in these difficult days. But here's the problem. If you don't try to learn to see God's grace in it, it will lead to bitterness and resentment. And I think that's why, like we talked about last week, I think it's why it's so important that we gather together as the community of faith. Because sometimes I need you to be my eyes when my eyes are failing. Sometimes I need you to have faith for me because my faith is really struggling. And there are times that I need to have faith for you because you're going through some really difficult days. And so when we come together and we encourage one another and we laugh together and we cry together and we hurt together and we walk with one another, we get to see a more complete picture of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And that is the beauty of of gathering. That is the beauty of coming together. But I think one of the biggest issues we deal with is we would much rather focus on superficial change than genuine transformation. We would much rather come together and say, I'm good, everything's okay, rather than really, truly desiring that God would change who we are. Because there are times going through that transformation is incredibly painful. And it's disorienting. And we're trying to figure out how to make sense of it. And we have to have this community to help us develop new eyes to see God's grace in the difficult times. But developing those eyes takes time. How, how is it that we could begin to see pain as a gift? I mean, is that even possible? To start to look and see pain as a gift. Maybe you've heard of the theory of reciprocity. And it basically says that um, in our nature, we give back what has been given to us. And if you think about it, really the whole basis of what God does through His people is this idea of reciprocity. That, that we would give out of what has been given to us. That, that God called Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. He gathers His people at Sinai. And He says, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. And the world is going to know what God is like because of you. Jesus says things like, forgive as you have been forgiven. That out of our life and out of our experience and out of our pain would come ministry. Would come our opportunity to be a blessing. 
One, one of our core values here is to see me, needs and meet needs. And I think one of the most powerful ways we can do that is through our pain. Through the things that we've gone through and the things that we've experienced. For, for instance, who is the best person in the room to minister to a grieving widow? Someone who has walked that road. Who's the best person to minister to someone who's lost a job? Or who's struggling to raise kids? Or marriage is hanging on by a thread? Is struggling in their marriage or has gone through divorce? Who's the best person to minister someone who's going through that pain. Someone who's been through it themselves. See, I think Paul discovered something along the way. There is nothing in life that brings us greater joy than being a part of building the kingdom of God and to look back and see someone grow in the kingdom and know that in some small way you played a role in that. Like, I think that's what Paul's figured out. I think Paul has figured out that yes, all that pain... Everything I went through, it was terrible, it was difficult, it was hard, but it opened doors for me to build God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven like nothing else ever could. And I hate, I, I think Paul would say, that, I think he would say, I hate everything I've been through. I wouldn't want to go through it again, but walking through it brought me closer to God and it opened doors of ministry that never would have been opened before. Not in a million years would I go back through it. But because I have been through it, life is in a different place. Life is hard. And it leaves us with a lot of questions. A lot of things that don't make sense. A lot of things that we don't have answers to. A lot of things that hurt deeply. But as we walk through them, as we go through those difficult days, we get to see the hands and feet of Jesus ministering to us through this body, through His church being the church, by walking alongside each other. And you might, and this might be years down the road, but at some point, if you'll continue to trust and have faith, even though it's hard, at some point you'll look back and you're going to say, 
in all my weakness, in everything I've gone through. I have seen God's goodness, and I've seen His power because of my weakness, because of my frailty. Because of my pain. We don't have answers. All we have is a Savior and an empty tomb that says death is not the end. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Father, it is a hard day. It is a heavy day. But Father, it's also a day filled with hope. It's filled with hope because the tomb is empty. It's filled with hope because Jesus is Lord. It's filled with hope because death does not get the final word. But Father, I'll just say, there are times when we question and we wonder and things don't work out as we thought they should. And it disorients us, and it causes us doubt, and it causes us fear. And so, Father, my prayer simply this morning is that you would be with us and give us peace from your presence. And help us to have faith and the strength to hold on. Trusting in the one who loves and gave His life for us. We thank You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.